The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. All right. Well, um, this week, as I mentioned at the start, we're looking at um, the fourth question, if you like. We've looked at the why question. Why is there pain and suffering uh, in our world? What could God possibly be doing through it? How can we remain firm? And this morning, we're coming to the who question. Now, often and throughout the series, one of the things that we've we've talked about um, is about how so often in the midst of painful um, circumstances, we have questions. We have questions. We want God to give us answers to them. And more often than not, we get frustrated because God doesn't give us that specific answer. More often than not, He um, simply gives us more of Himself, and He calls us to trust Him. Um, and if we think we're alone with that, uh, alone in that, you just have to look at probably the, the most famous story of suffering in the Bible in Job. Uh, and this is what R.C. Sproul says about it in his book, Surprised by Suffering. He says, ultimately, the only answer God gave Job was a revelation of Himself. It was as if God said to him, Job, I am your answer. Job was not asked to trust a plan, but a person. A personal God who is sovereign, wise, and good. It was as if God said to Job, learn who I am. When you know me, you will know enough to handle anything. Job, I am your answer. More often than not, God calls us to do that. But that beckons the question, who is this God that we're called to trust? Who is this God that identifies with, that enters into the pain and suffering of his people? And that's the question we're wrestling with today. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Isaiah 53. Uh, if you're online, I trust that you would have read that chapter, um, and so you'll have a, a greater understanding because of it. Um, I'm going to be reading from the NIV version. It'll be on the screen as well. This is what the Word of the Lord says in Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up, like, he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, and each has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and pro prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. 
Therefore, I give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressions. Church, this morning what we're looking at is a God who enters into and identifies with pain through Jesus Christ, who came, as we see in Isaiah 53, to be, as we're told, a man of suffering, a man familiar with pain. This morning we're going to look at three things. So if you're taking notes, uh, we're going to do three things, as we we usually always do. Um, Five if you're bold, seven if you're really holy. Um, Our first thing we're going to look at is our Savior's suffering. What is the suffering that Jesus himself endured? What did he experience when he walked this road of suffering um, when he was here on this earth? Secondly, we're looking at our Savior's solution. What hope, what solution does Jesus' suffering and experience of pain offer us in the midst of our experiences? And then finally, we're looking at reassurances in the midst of suffering. How can who God is and what He has done give us reassurance to stand firm in the midst of our pain? So our Savior's suffering, our Savior's solution, and reassurance in the midst of suffering. Let me pray. Um, and then we will get into it. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God who has entered into our pain, who has experienced and walked this road of suffering, Father. And we pray that as we um, unpack this chapter, as we unpack your word, Lord, I pray that you open up our hearts to, to see that. I pray that you would uh, make this amazing truth so beautiful uh, to us, Lord God. Uh, and I pray that you would uh, guard my words, Lord, as I speak as well. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, our first thing we're looking at is our Savior's suffering. Um, and this passage, this, this chapter, perhaps if you're new to the faith or uh, you haven't read much of the Old Testament, th- this chapter is probably one of the most famous, uh, what's called Messianic prophecies, right? Talking about or prophesying about the coming of the Messiah, the Redeemer. Um, and what's interesting is that this depiction of the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer, is so vastly different to what people probably would have expected. Because what Isaiah does, what he says in, in his chapter, is that he describes Jesus as being a suffering servant. If you heard that phrase before it, it comes out of this chapter, he depicts Jesus as being a man of suffering familiar with pain. Just sit with that for a moment. Here's the, the hope of the world, the Redeemer, the Savior, being described as someone who is familiar with pain. And in our passage, in our chapter, we see multiple references to that. For example, we see that he, uh, as I says, he was uh, unattractive or unwanted or um, undesirable, as it were, in in verse 2. And that's not saying that he didn't look a certain way and have nice muscles all around. What it's talking about is that there was was nothing about Jesus and his um, outward appearance that would make us think that he was someone of importance. He didn't have the usual emblems of superiority and nobility that you might expect. And in fact, when we look at his life, we see that Jesus was born in a stable rather than a palace. He was regularly um, with the the outcasts of society. His closest friends, many of them were fishermen, not aristocrats and nobles. He was an ordinary man, someone who came from lowly circumstances. There was nothing about him that you would look at and say, oh, he was someone of importance. Or in verse 3, we're told that Jesus was someone who was despised and rejected. Some of us can resonate with that feeling of being uh, pushed aside, being rejected, being overlooked and the pain that's associated with that. And again and again and again, we see that Jesus regularly encounters that. He's called a fool. He's called a crazy person, even by the religious elites. He's traded in for a couple of pieces of silver by one of his close friends. And the people he came to save, the people he came to rescue, wanted nothing to do with him. And they traded him in 
for a criminal, Barabbas. Or verse 7, for example, tells us that Jesus was oppressed. Or verse 8 says that by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. He was familiar with that, that, that harsh treatment of totalitarian um, authority, authorities. He wasn't treated fairly. He didn't get that kindness that you would expect someone like him to get, indeed um, anyone to get. But not only that, if we just step out of the passage for a moment and look at the account of Jesus' life in verse, uh, sorry, in um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Gospels, what we see is again and again particular instances of pain and hardship that God, uh, that Jesus endured. For example, we see that Jesus experienced grief and sorrow at the death of a loved one. We see that Jesus experienced grief and sorrow at the lost state of Jerusalem, and he wept over it. Jesus experienced abandonment when one of his closest friends denied him in his hour of need. Jesus experienced physical pain when he was beaten to a pulp on his way to the cross at Calvary. He experienced temptation and trials in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4. These are just some examples of Jesus' sufferings that he endured when he was here on this earth. Now, if we had more time, we could draw out more, but what's the main point? The main point here that we need to see is that, and what Isaiah is pointing to, is that Jesus came to be someone who was acquainted with pain, hurt, rejection. He was a man of sorrows, familiar with pain. And so that's good news for us, believe it or not, this morning. Some of you may know, um, I talk about it a lot when I'm up here about my knee injuries. Um, I reckon by the time I finish preaching, uh, my preaching life, you'll know the names of all my doctors and how many hairs are on their head because I talk about it so much. But one of the things that uh, I've noticed about myself is uh, whenever I meet someone new who's had a knee reconstruction, right, I meet someone who's been through that, it's almost like a sense of connection because that person gets, oh, yeah, you know it when your knee buckles, yeah, yeah you get it, right? We, 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 I, I, there's a sense of connection because that person knows the, the hardships of uh, a knee injury, knows the pain of rehabilitating and what it involves. And in a similar way, the God that we serve understands our pain because he's experienced it because he's become a man of suffering familiar with pain. And that's sometimes a bit counterintuitive, because so often when we're in difficult circumstances, right, we, we come to God in prayer, and we plead and we beckon on certain characteristics of God. We come to God as sovereign, and we say, God, you're the sovereign one. Can you please change my circumstances? Or we come to God as healer and say, God, you're the healer. Why, why can't you just take away this illness, this pain, this physical ailment? Or we, we, we come to God as judge and as a mighty warrior and say, God, please bring judgment and punishment on that person who's causing so much pain. And those are all good things to do. But how often do we come to God as the suffering servant? How often do we come to God as one who has experienced pain, who has experienced hardships, who has experienced trials? Church, it's good news for us this morning because we serve a God who can empathize with every one of our pains and sufferings. He's not distant. There was, no, there was no fudging of Jesus' humanity. Jesus didn't come to be fully human but not experience the hard parts. Jesus came fully human to experience the fullness of the human experience, which involved experiencing pain and suffering. He's not standing at a distance trying to intellectually imagine what it might be like to experience the pain. No, he's lived it. He's been through it. He understands. Some of us this morning are experiencing considerable pain in our lives or, or, or difficulties, as we've heard uh, this morning uh, through our interview, but even in previous weeks. For some of us, maybe it's physical pain. 
maybe there's a uh, physical ailment in our body. Maybe it's a chronic arthritis or uh, an injury that has just not healed. Maybe it's a sickness or, or, or a terminal illness maybe even. And it's just wreaking havoc and just causing us so much distress. Or for others of us, like we've heard, maybe it's about someone else. It's about watching your child walk down this path that is scary. And you don't know where this path is going to go, but you see it going pear-shaped so quickly and you're so concerned about the, the crowd that they're moving with, about what's going to happen at the end, and that wreaks havoc in your heart. You feel powerless to stop it. Maybe it's not a, spouse, a child, maybe it's a spouse or someone else close to you walking that path. Or maybe for some of us it's mental health. Maybe you're wrecked with feelings of depression or chronic anxiety that just come up again and again and again. And you're wondering, God, how long am I going to be in this fire? How long am I going to feel this way? Because maybe you're over feeling this way. Whatever the fire is that we're facing this morning, the good news that our passage offers us is that we serve a Savior who's experienced suffering. We serve a Savior who uh, understands what it's like. People around us may not understand. They may not get it, but our Savior does. Our Savior has been through the fire. He was a man of sorrows familiar with pain. He empathizes, he gets it, and he understands. That's our first point this morning, that God, through, uh, through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the life that he lived, Jesus came to be a Savior but he came to be a, a, a savior that walked a path of suffering. And because he did, because he endured, it's good news because it means that he understands. He gets it. He empathizes. He's close to us because he understands. But what I want us to see is that it's not just that uh, Jesus empathizes, but Jesus came to create a solution to the problem. Which brings us to our second point this morning. Often we, we ask questions, like we mentioned at the start, asking questions of, God, why are you allowing this to happen? Or we say, God, how long are you going to sit back and not change the circumstances? How long are you going to sit back and do nothing, it seems? We ask these really deep, raw questions when we, we feel the, the heat of the flames. Or maybe it goes from mere inquiries or pleas to God, and maybe you're at the point where you're now even starting to doubt. You're starting to doubt God, and you're saying, God, you say you're a good God, but I'm asking for a good thing. Why are you not giving me this good thing that I'm asking for? Why are you taking so long to do this seemingly good thing? If you're a good God, why did you allow me to be abused as a child? Why did you allow me to be born with this disability that just causes me so much grief and pain? Why did you allow my loved one to die? If you're so good, why did you allow this seemingly not good thing to happen? We ask these really raw uh, difficult questions from the depths of our heart. And so often, even the questions we ask can scare us because we're not even aware of how raw the pain really is, which leads to those questions. And if you find yourself, this, find yourself there this morning, I, wanna, I want us to see that this passage offers us hope. Because as wonderful as it is that our Savior empathizes with our pain and suffering, there's a greater hope which His suffering ultimately offers. Because ultimately the, 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 the passage and, and, and Jesus' suffering, it points to his humiliating journey to the cross where he would die in the place of you and me. Look at what it says in verse uh, 4 to 6 again, Isaiah 53. It says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. 
Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. If you're singing the Colin Buchanan song, you can, you can, you can sing it out. Every time we read it, I sang it out every time I was reading it this week. We've heard this passage so many times, particularly at Easter time. Because what it points to is that the ultimate end of Jesus' uh, suffering, as it were, was to go to the cross and to endure one suffering so that we wouldn't have to endure that. Jesus came, his ultimate purpose was to come to be a substitutionary sacrifice so that we wouldn't have to experience the pain and the trauma of being eternally, for all eternity, being separated from God. Jesus came to endure that so that we wouldn't have to. And that's great news on so many fronts, but it's especially great news for us when we're facing um, painful trials and hardships. Because if we're honest, sometimes what we want in those times, I'm sure you can resonate it, is we, we want God to take away our pain. We want God to do something about the suffering, about the pain, and, and we want to go, why are you not doing that? But believe it or not, Jesus' death and resurrection is actually evidence that he is doing something, and perhaps something far greater than we could see in this moment. See, what I mean is often we, we want God to remove our pain and eradicate it completely, and yet we perhaps don't fully appreciate what exactly that would look like. Let me illustrate it this way. Hopefully it will make a bit more sense. I'm, I'm not a horticulturist. You, you will not see me uh, in the garden. Uh, Caitlin is, so maybe that will rub off on me one day. Um, but I, I'm not. I, I, you won't catch me in the garden. I probably don't even know what plants are in our backyard. But one thing I remember when I was a child with my, my parents sometimes is getting rid of weeds, right? Um, and back then, I don't know, for whatever reason, we didn't spray it with things. We, we removed them by hand. And one thing I know that you don't do is you don't go with a pair of scissors and snip it um, close to the top and just take the top off. Why? Because the root will grow back again. So if you want to do something about the problem of the weed, you have to do something about the root. You have to take it out, roots and all. And in a similar way, what we've seen in that series is that God created a world that was free of pain, free of suffering, free of sicknesses and hardships. But that all changed when sin entered the world. Because when sin entered the world, the world fractured. And since that time, humanity has been continually corrupted by sin. There's been sicknesses um, and illnesses and, and other things that have come in because of the entrance of sin into the world. Sin is the ultimate problem. Now, by way of clarification, I'm not saying that the reason we suffer is because we're being punished or something for a sin we've done. What I mean is that the reason there is pain and suffering in our world, the reason why it is part of the human experience, if you like, is because the presence, there is presence of sin in our world, because of the brokenness of the, um, the world. That's what causes the brokenness. That's what causes us to cause pain to other people. That's what causes other people to cause pain to us. Sin is at the root. And so for God to do something about the problem of our pain, he has to do something about the problem of our sin. Or in other words, in order to, to eradicate pain and suffering ultimately in the world, he has to do something about sin as well, because sin is at the root. Now, let me ask this question. If Jesus was to wipe out everything that has been touched and affected by sin, who of us would survive that cult? Who of us would survive the, the, the wiping out of everything being, um, that's been touched by sin? None of us, right? Because we all have been affected by sin. We've all fallen short. And that's why this passage offers us hope. Because Jesus is coming and death in our place. 
and the taking upon himself, the punishment that was due unto us, created a way for God to, yes, one day wipe out the, the all pain and suffering in the world and yet spare us in the process. Create a way for us to, to, to um, have hope that pain will be eradicated, that suffering and trials and hard things will be eradicated and yet we will still be around to enjoy that new world. That's our second point this morning, that Jesus came not only just to experience and empathize with our pain and suffering, but to create a solution to it. Which brings us then to our third point, reassurances in the midst of suffering. These may all be great, but often, if we're honest, when we're feeling the heat of the flames, sometimes we can hear something like this and go, Jesus' death and resurrection? I've heard of that. I know that. I've been in church for so long, but what I need is answers. What I need is reassurances in the midst of these doubts that I am having. And if that's you this morning, church, I don't know why God has not answered your prayers. I don't know why you've been praying and praying and praying and God still seems silent. But what I do know is that even when God doesn't give us the particular answers that we want, He gives us more of Himself. He calls us to trust Him. And Jesus and the story of the gospel and what we've seen even in Isaiah 53 gives us um, uh, assurances in the midst of our suffering so that we can do exactly that. When we're tempted to doubt the character of God or who He is, we need when we look at Jesus in the gospel, we see and find the reassurances we need. Let me draw out three uh, implications for us uh, in, in this morning. Three implications of why or how, how the, the death and resurrection of Christ offers us uh, reassurance. Firstly, it, reassur- it gives us reassurance that we have a hopeful future. The truth that Jesus came and endured suffering and created a way for sin to be dealt with gives us the hope that these fiery trials we go through, that this painful situation that we're in, that this would not be the final chapter, that this is not the end of the story. And this is what's unique because if for a moment, if you're, if you're coming from a non-believing background, if you're, coming, if you're a secular person um, and you're sort of, maybe even you believe that God exists, but you're not really following Him, if that's you this morning, then in the midst of pain and suffering, it really it's a, it's a hindrance. It's a speed bump. It's, a, it's an inconvenience because it takes away from the time that you have to enjoy life because this life is short and that's it at the end of it. And in the midst of pain, the best hope we can have is to hopefully wish that it will pass one eventually or that in time all wounds will be healed or that if someone that we love is dying, that the best we can hope for is that at least they won't be in pain anymore after that. But if you're a believer, we have hope that suffering and pain is not the final word. Let, let, me put it, let me put it this way. A couple of weeks ago, Hillary put up this quote. I don't think we have it, so I'm going to just read it out for you. Um, by Philip Yancey, it said, Who would complain if God allowed one hour of suffering in an entire lifetime of comfort? Yet we bitterly complain about a lifetime that includes suffering when that lifetime is a mere hour of eternity. I'll read that again so you can get it. Who would complain if God allowed one hour of suffering in an entire lifetime of comfort. Yet, we bitterly complain about a lifetime that includes suffering when that lifetime is a mere hour of eternity. Church, when I, when I saw that a couple of weeks ago, that was so encouraging, that was so awesome. And yet, if we think about it, the only reason that is true is because of what Jesus has done. The only reason that's true, the only reason that beyond this life, the, the et- rest of eternity is more hopeful than the, the current life we live. The reason why this life is just a, an hour of inconvenience, if you like, compared to eternity, is because of what Christ has done. 
If Christ didn't come to deal with the problem of our sin, I assure you, the rest of eternity is far worse than what we experience on this earth. That's the good news that Jesus offers. That's the reassurance that he offers, that there is a hope that one day this pain will be taken away. One day God, Christ will come and he'll take us to be with him and we will live in a, in a new heavens and new earth where there is no more pain and suffering and anxiety and depression and trauma. Without Jesus' substitutionary death, none of that is possible. But because of it, we can have that hope. And we're going to unpack that more next week, so come back if you want more of it. But number two, number two reassurance that we can have is that we are not abandoned. Not only does the work of Jesus give us hope for a future, but it gives us hope in the here and now. See, often when we're, we're going through hard times, we've heard these stories, we, 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 and particularly when it's got extended for a long period of time, it's been drawn out, and we've been praying and praying and praying and praying that God would change the circumstance that he would bring healing, that he would take away the anxiety and the, the struggle. So often we're, we're worried and we're, we're struggling with that. We wonder, why has God still not done anything about it? And in those moments, the enemy can come knocking and he can uh, cause us to, to, to cry out to God and say, God, why are you not listening? Why have you abandoned me? Have you been there? Church, when we're in that place, the life the sufferings, the death, the resurrection of Jesus remain a constant, unchanging confirmation that the emphatic answer to that question is no. That God has not abandoned you. That he still loves you. That there is, no, because he's done something about the one thing that could ultimately separate us. The one thing that could ultimately cause us to be forever cast away from God was our sin and he's done something about that problem. See, Jesus, when he went to the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that when we attempted to cry that out, we can know that we haven't been forsaken, that we haven't been abandoned. Oh, yes, the pain is still real. Oh, yes, the pain is still um, relevant. It's, it's true, but we can trust and know and be reassured that we have not been abandoned. Because of what Jesus has done, we can have that assurance that even when we walk through the darkest of valleys, we have nothing to fear. Why? Because he is with us. He hasn't abandoned us. He hasn't left us. He is close. I don't know why God hasn't answered your prayers. I don't know why he hasn't changed the circumstance. But what I do know is that he's promised to never abandon us. He still loves us. And you need, if you need that assurance again this morning, go to the cross. Go to the cross and see your Savior who died to create a way for you to be forever in union with and finally, it gives us reassurance that we can trust who God is. You know, when I was thinking about it uh, this week and in previous weeks, uh, one of the things I, I, I did in preparation was I actually looked back at this note I have on my phone. Uh, and this note is, it's illegally long. It's just ridiculously long. And the reason why is because it's prayers that I wrote down in the midst of a difficult season in my life. Um, and there's probably hundreds in there. But as I read through, and one of the things that came up again and again and again was this sense, if I'm honest, in my heart, where I wasn't just wondering why God hadn't changed the circumstance, but I was even doubting the character of God. God, you say you're good, but then why aren't you doing this good thing? You say you care, but then why am I still struggling? So often we're tempted to doubt God's character, and we wonder if God's abandoned us. We doubt, and we wonder whether the character that we know of God is really true. 
But church, this morning, the cross offers us that emphatic symbol and representation that gives us the assurances we need when we're doubting. When we're asking the question, God, are you truly loving? We can see on the cross that God loved us so much that he didn't even spare his own son in order to create a way for us to be restored into relationship with him. When we wonder, God, do you hear my cries? Do you see my tears? We look at the cross and we see that Jesus' cries went unanswered so that we could know that he does hear us, that we are in relationship with him, that we are united to him. When we wonder, God, are you really faithful? We see on the cross the representation that all the thousands of years of prophecies and promises to Israel about a Savior and Redeemer came true. He was faithful to his word and he's going to be faithful to us as well. When we wonder whether, God, are you really my provider? Are you really going to care for all of my needs? We look at the cross and we see that God's already done something about our greatest need, our need for salvation. When we wonder, God, do you understand my pain? We see the cross, we see Jesus on the cross experiencing physical pain, cosmic pain and suffering for us. When we wonder, God, do you even care? Do you care about the struggle that I'm going through? We see that Jesus cared so much that he willingly laid down his life. He set aside the glories of heaven, we're told, to die on that wretched cross so that we could be welcomed into his presence and have that hope. Church, do you see? If you need that reassurance, the cross is the place to go to. Maybe if Andy and the team want to jump up. If you're struggling and you need reassurance of who God is, assurance that you can trust the character of God, go to the cross. Because at the cross, we see the character of God on full display. And we find the reassurance we need. At the start, we talked about the the answer that God gave to Job. And let me finish with this quote and a story. Don Carson, in one of the books that I mentioned, How Long, O Lord, this is what he says. He says, In the darkest night of the soul, Christians have something to hang on to that Job never knew. We know Christ crucified. Christians have learned that when there seems to be no other evidence of God's love, they cannot escape the cross. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him, up, gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Romans 8. Church, go to the cross and sit there and just plead with God. God, show me more of who you are. Yes, bring your needs. Yes, bring the, 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 your pleas to God, but also ask that God will reveal more of himself. Because who is our God? Our God is a God who identifies with, who's entered into our pain and suffering and created a solution to it. I'll finish with this illustration. Some of you may have heard of a uh, a, a, a novel writer by the name of Dorothy Sayers. Uh, She was a a writer of a crime detection novel, sort of in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, And she was also one of the first women to go to Oxford University or obtain a, a full degree from there. And she writes this series called the Lord Peter Whimsey Stories, or Lord Peter Whimsey Series, which is about this character, Lord Peter Whimsey, who's a, a, a detective, and he solves problems and all of that. And he's, there's a number of volumes there. But out of nowhere, it, it, what we see is that Lord Peter Whimsey is a lonely character. He's by himself. He goes home by himself to no one. He doesn't have a, a family or anything like that. He's lonely. But towards the end of the series, what's interesting is we see a character come into the story by the name of Harriet Vane. 
And Harriet Vane in the stories is a writer of crime uh, detective novel fiction stories. And she's also one of the first women to go to Oxford University. And they fall in love and they um, have a happy life and they, they ride off into the sunset, if you like. And many literary critics look at that and they say that Dorothy Sayers saw her creation, saw the, the pain and suffering of the character she created and she wrote herself into the story. And in a similar way, we serve a God who is not distant from our pain and suffering, but He has seen it. He sees it. He understands. And He's written Himself into the story through the person of Jesus Christ. Why don't you stand to your feet this morning? And I want to encourage you this morning, if, if maybe if you're, if you're struggling or you've been going through something difficult, I want to encourage you to, to, to cry out to Jesus. The band are going to sing um, a chorus or two. And, um, and what we're going to do is I want to invite you if, you, if you want prayer or if you feel as though the, the beauty of Christ and the cross has gone cold in your heart, come forward. Come and be prayed for. If you're struggling in the midst of uh, difficult circumstances in your life, come and receive prayer. Our prayer team will be here. But the number one thing is to seek after Jesus. Seek after Him. Seek more of Him. Because like we saw at the start, that in R.C. Sproul's quote, that when we learn who God is, when we know Him, we will have the strength that we need to handle the difficulties of life. So when we spend some time reflecting on that and coming in prayer, and then we'll close. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church Podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.